Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. If you love free stuff, we have a huge holiday giveaway announcement from our friends over at Dead Soxie. And I know everyone loves free around this time of year. Right now, you can enter to win over $700 worth of Dead Soxie's premium socks, plus a $300 Dead Soxie gift card, all in their super sleek luxury briefcase. They're looking for 10 lucky winners, so just go to deadsoxy.com forward slash sweep. That's deadsoxy.com forward slash sweep, S-W-E-E-P, to enter the giveaway between now and Friday, December 16th to win. To sweeten the deal even more, winners will have their grand prize in hand before Christmas, so you can keep all those socks to yourself, give some away, or give someone the ultimate socks drawer upgrade. Again, that's deadsoxy.com forward slash sweep. And I'd really like to see someone from the inside indie sports community become a winner of this sweepstakes. All right, stay soxy. We are closing in on a week until the early signing period. Notre Dame's coaching staff continues to hit the recruiting trail this week as the Irish players are in finals week. So Gator Bowl prep is a little bit on the back burner right now. But our guest this week knows plenty about the demands of being a Notre Dame football player. And he's recently started embarking on a football coaching career of his own, former Notre Dame safety Tom Zimbakowski's latest career move included spending the past season as a defensive quality control coach at Western Michigan. Tom, thanks for joining us. Man, I appreciate you guys having me. Excited to be here. Tom, let's start by talking about Notre Dame first, and then we can circle back with what's new with you. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame's first season under head coach Marcus Freeman? Uh, it seemed... You know, from a distance, obviously the uh, well, not obviously, but the last thing I'm doing when I'm not watching film of the own of my own, you know, coaching all, all that stuff is watching even more games. <laughs> uh, but I did see some Ohio State. I did hear, you know, of the tough, you know, the tough start and a strong finish. I like from what from what I hear on coaches and what you hear about Marcus Freeman is nothing but positive. Um, he really. I think is the new mold of these. Well, you know, I mean, he's an old school coach and a new school coach. All this stuff is cyclical. It's always, you know, I get there's analytics and all this other stuff, but he's a man that's played the game, played the game at a high level, communicates well, is young, is energetic. It always seems like that's the type of people that are in demand. And I don't think he can, you know, be at a, a better place or, have, or, or really have Notre Dame have a better head coach than who they have right now. Tommy, um, it's, in, it's in. They're in a good. They're in. A, it's in a good. It's in a good position. It definitely is in the right direction. I know, you know, records are records and this and that, but the trajectory is all in the right direction. That sounds good. In my <laughs> opinion, IMO, IMO, as they say these days, <laughs> IMO. I gotta wait until you're done before I jump in with my question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you played in some bowl games for Notre Dame you guys played in the BCS level bowls back then um with the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State and the Sugar Bowl against LSU what what were bowl practices like what was the bowl prep like was and did you feel like it was structured to get the best out of you guys when you were going through it 
I do. I remember Fiesta Bowl. I was as ready as I've ever been to play a game. Um, we played an elite team who had a very good performance, a Heisman Trophy winner, three, I mean, pretty much first-round wide receivers, a very solid running back, a defense that had, was first-rounders and NFL-caliber guys. Um, I felt Charlie did – right for that preparation um sugar bowl was different my body was so beat up for the sugar bowl i had a torn muscle in like my pubic bone area i had a nerve damage on my left shoulder that was healing up i was a complete mess for the sugar bowl the sugar bowl i uh feel like i probably could have played little sisters of the poor and they would have beat me. <laughs> um, so it was, diff you know, it was, uh, and I think we had a little more relaxed atmosphere for that sugar bowl, which the players all wanted, which I think was the right move, but you know, as typical young fashion, we took advantage of that and it showed in, in the game. Okay. So, in this day and age, let you know the Sugar Bowl in two thousand six. That wasn't your senior yeah. year. Had it had it been your senior year, and Leonard Fournette and uh, McCaffrey had uh, Christian McCaffrey had already set the pre precedent. Would you have thought about opting out of a bowl game? Would you would that ever crossed your mind? No, I should have. I just I mean because I should have stayed <laughs> out of that game. No doubt. <laughs> And it never crossed my mind. So I mean, no, no, I'm playing. I'm playing in any. I'm playing in a game in a parking lot after the game that we just played on Saturdays. I don't really care how, how bowl game, turkey bowl, street bowl, whatever it is. You know, I'm lacing them up. Is the, is there a particular bowl memory that comes to mind when I just ask you about what was the bowl experience like for you? Is there one memory that that stands out above the rest for you? Yeah, touchdown called back. <laughs> <laughs> Man, a game changing play and probably should have probably could have left for the NFL after that season. I would have had to worry about a banged up senior season, but it all worked out the way it should have. Um, did, did yeah, well, you know, that, that would just play, just, you know, seeing the speed, seeing the accuracy, seeing Troy Smith playing against Ted Gidd Jr., Santonio Holmes, Anthony Gonzalez. This is, you know, I mean, now this is, it's, uh, it brings out the best of you. I, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better situation than to bring the absolute best out of me than that game. I always wanted to play. In the Fiesta Bowl, I like the desert for some reason. Why? I, you know, I mean, I like the Rose Bowl and I like Tempe, but Ohio State, that whole game, that whole atmosphere will, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that game, I think, above any other game in cup for, for my college career, other than probably Michigan State, my, uh, my sophomore year. And was that the game where you grabbed the ball out of the Michigan State kids' hands? Yeah. And that was I awesome. Said, I politely, I politely asked him where he was going with that, <laughs> with that pigskin. I took it away from him. <laughs> okay. Well, Tommy, the last time I saw you in person, you were boxing. Yeah, you were making right a now. comeback with the boxing. Yeah. 
Um, so how did how did it evolve into you getting into coaching? I mean, a lot. There's a lot of steps in here. You're a dad now. Yeah, there is. I know. I know. I know. Well, boxing. I went. Um, Pee wee football, where I played pee wee football to try and get football out of my life, and then I started coaching wrestling. Oh, at, high at, at, yeah, yeah, with my uh, second friend. You know, we wrestled together, we played football together, we played high school football together. He's been coaching at Fremd High School in Palatine. Um, so I went home. I went back to the basics. I lived with my parents. I went. I went wrestling. I went boxing. I was jujitsu. I was Muay Thai. I was kickboxing. Um, and then a really close friend of mine that had moved to California, moved back from California to Chicago. This was one of my oldest boxing mates at Hamlin Park. I've known him since I was ten years old. He moves back to Chicago. We start training at a boxing gym in uh, Logan Square in Chicago, which is where my soon-to-be wife and mother of my children is working. She's working behind the desk. We start training. I go six months of just boxing now after about two years of Muay Thai, boxing, wrestling, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, And we really start putting together a masterful plan to be 10 rounds boxing ready, get a fight, get a boxing match, which I had scheduled for uh, Good Friday of, shoot, 2020, Um, if my years are right, whenever that pandemic really, or whenever lockdowns and all that set in. Yeah. Which then, yeah, which you you get where I'm going with this, then curb my, my son is, Born in uh, uh, August, no, uh, September of 2020. And then, uh, you know, sparring and ground and pound and beating guys senseless isn't as appealing as it was. As it so was a few months, not so, you know, not so many weeks or months before that. And then uh, that spring, I'm living in, we moved to St. Charles by the time my kid's out, by the time my son's born. Um, Illinois doesn't have a high school football season in the fall. They have it in the spring. A friend of my brother's son is a freshman at the time at St. Francis in Wheaton. I go over there for the first day of, you know, just seeing what's on, you know, getting around the game and whatever, seeing if I was going to coach this five or six game season. And then by I come home after the second night and I can't shut off my brain. You know what I mean? It's pl- plays, uh, install, planning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers, <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Orton, Matt Leinard. Flacco, all the games, all the plays, all the routes, all the concepts, Rex Ryan, Mark Carrier, Bill Lewis, 
Chuck Pagano, John Harbaugh, Dean Pease, Mike Pettin, you know, all these, all the people, you know, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, Juwan Landry, Bart Scott. The list goes on and on, you know, shoot, just the and it's it's rolling. And I know I gotta find my way back into football coaching. High school, high school ain't gonna cut it. You know, I love the kids and stuff, but it's just, you know, high school ain't gonna cut it. College, you know, co- Mac Division One, I, I guess college is about as slow or as or whatever it is that you want to say that, you know, that that has my full attention. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. So, so Cliff notes. Cliff notes. You can ask me about any portion that I just skimmed over, if you want. Yeah, to no, there's, like a, that, there's a lot there. Is it still that's long winded? But I want you know you can you you can take it from wherever you want to go with that. Yeah, let's start like with this past season. What did you learn about yourself and and the coaching profession in this past season at, at Western Michigan? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. 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 I sat. I absorbed. I absorbed, I absorbed, I absorbed, judgment-free, 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 absorbed, all the plays, remembered the hashes are different in college, this is boundary field, this isn't, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't all in the middle of the field, this isn't passing strength and whatchamacallit, this is boundary field, special teams are atrocious, this college punt is awful to watch, I throw up every (laughs) time I watch it, uh, um what else you know just absorb keep absorbing see 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 the difference of the referees see who's familiar see what they're calling see how they're calling it all these points really are fabricated from all these offensive geniuses all these points are fabricated by pass interferences nobody really has a real you know full fluid solid solid offense that is always making sense, is always rolling, is always running. It seems uh, very stiff, uh, very unimaginative. Um, but it is what it is. Okay. You see, you... <laughs> so it, I've never known you to attack anything with less than a full passion. So yeah. I, I'm going to ask you this. Do you feel like you got enough of a taste of it that this is going to be? Yeah, I'm not going to be able to, I can't leave it. The relationship, the, the, the biggest thing, you know, I, I really did. I didn't want to, I, I see the, I just wanted to absorb. I really didn't want to come up with any opinions on anything until, uh, you know, you really coach it, but it's the relate. It's the relationships you always miss. And then as you see, you grow, you, you know, you see, uh, you know, what it's all about and why you went through the things that you went through. How many, how many kids can I help? How many lives can be changed or saved, not saved, altered for the better. You know, nobody, nobody needs saving, but everyone needs a little help. Everyone needs a little guidance. So what's, what is, uh, if I tried to get rid of football, if I did every, if I, if I got in that type of shape, if I was that good of a fighter, if I really could have been who I could have been as a fighter, which I, I'm 
<clears throat> really going to be the only one, probably me and my father are the only ones that know what kind of talent I was as a fighter, which <clears throat> is whatever I accomplished in football. It's like, you know what I mean? It was, uh, I really was that good of a just natural fighter, wrestler, boxer, Muay Thai, any of it. But it saved my brain cells. It saved my body. Uh, it saved me from the regret of physically harming human beings. As you get older, you realize, you know, a lot of that was anger that could have been talked about. A lot of it probably was necessary. You needed the discipline. You needed the things that uh, you got from boxing and fighting and wrestling and all that stuff. Um, but if I'm not a college football coach or a professional football coach, what you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know who is. Right. So what would the next step be for you, Tommy? And, you know, from what I hear, there's already a buzz about you being in, in coaching. Um, would you coach a position next? And if so, would you coach safeties or not necessarily safety? I'd hope not to. I don't want to. Uh, I'd rather stick on special teams. I like special teams. I like having an impact with everyone. You know, I get to be that weird, crazy-ass special teams coach. You know, I, <laughs> I don't – uh, I know the defenses that I played under, and I can help you coach safeties. But, you know, unless you really – I don't know, unless you got a special safety or unless you got a playmaker for the most part, they just, you know, they don't do much. There ain't really much that they do, but cover and, you know, I mean, unless they're used, I mean, you know, it's uh, not that I'm a, I feel like I'm wasted as just a safeties coach. I don't, I feel like you pick up a lot more me as a special teams coach, a special teams coordinator, uh, but that, again, that's my opinion. I'm beggars can't be choosers either. I'm in a position where I don't hold no power. I got to ask and find a position to get hired and work for. I really like who they hired here at Western Michigan. I also really liked Tim Lester. Um, I really like Marcus Freeman. I like a lot. You know, there is a lot, a lot of guys that I get along with that I feel like are the same type of person, same type of passion for the game, same type of love for the game, same type of love for the next generation of young men. Um, I really do see a lot of these young coaches want to be, uh, man, just like anything, they keep getting better and better and better. I don't think of there's a better time to be a coach. You see Deion Sanders is now winning. Uh, it's, it's Trent Dilfer. You know, you see the guys that played, you see them really rising the ranks and making an impact. Even with the craziness of Jeff Saturday, what's going on there? I love I, I love it. I do. I love it. Tom, you talked about... I could see, I could also see how it could ruffle some feathers. Sure. You talked about <laughs> sort of punts being boring in college football now. Um, Notre Dame this season put a lot of emphasis into trying to block punts. They, they blocked seven punts this season. The new special coordinator, Brian Mason. Do you feel like that's like that. sort of the next yeah. evolution to get you got to, you got to, there's there, it's so sporadic. I mean, everything it's rugby to what there's so few return opportunities anyways, because of the inconsistencies of, or whether it's planned or unplanned of these punt of these punts might as well cover the fakes and pressure. It's punt. It ain't no punt return anymore. It's punt block. 
It's punt block for sure. Very good. So um, before I forget, um, there was a young man on your football team, Braden Fisk, I believe his last name yeah. was. Great kid. He's, Michigan, um, Michigan City, Michigan City kid. Yeah, he's making the rounds on the grad transfer tour. Notre Dame had him for a visit. How good of a kid is is that? Could he play at the level of Notre he, Dame? Yeah, he can play anywhere. Okay. He can he can play anywhere. He's uh he's the type of kid you give one boxing lesson and somehow he mixes it into, into his game and he can time <laughs> up, punch you know, seriously, I saw the evolution of him catching elbow, the tip of the ball, and now the speed that he can play with can time up a punch clean on the meat of a football and force a fumble like that. He's got relentless energy. Uh, he's as tough as they come. And he reminds me, he's a taller version of Derek Landry. He reminds me of Derek Landry. Okay. So just to follow up, follow up on that, did you yeah. teach boxing lessons to some of the Western Michigan players? Uh, the kids that weren't playing, the younger freshmen, try, it, that, I remember that freshman year. It's harder than rookie year. It's Freshman year might be really one of the toughest years is understanding that this is reality. This ain't, you know, what you saw in some movie. This is 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single, you know, seven six days a week. Uh, and you keep them active, you keep them going, and then by the end of the season, you see that a lot of your guys that are in your boxing class just happen to be scout team players of the week offensively, scout team players of the week defensively, and scout team players of the week special teams. One of the kids got a pretty good knee injury, a uh, really good kid. I don't want him to not play football, but I definitely don't want him to see, you know, a knee injury or, or get any worse, but he's got some raw talent and raw skills in, in the boxing world. Uh, if he wants to go that route, he can, but none of, you know, that's one kid out of the 20 or 20 or so kids that just like doing the footwork. Like, you know, you get the fourth string long snapper out there. You can see the facial expressions. You can see the happiness, out of you know, out of shy, shelled kids you can see the confidence come out of them you can see them smile and you can see them grow and you can see them carry themselves differently there's no better feeling than to teach a young man how to box there's some about it tom i think there's this outside concern that college football coaching is becoming harder than ever with the increase of nil being a factor with uh, the portal being a factor with kids being able to leave sort of at a drop of a hat what why is now the time that you feel like you can make an impact as as a college football coach because it's getting harder which means it's just right for me <laughs> <laughs> which means i was born in bredford whatever it is that's going on and i love it it's going to make good coaches uh in higher demand and the bad coaches see you later thanks for playing I, I wouldn't imagine you've had a taste of having to do recruiting yet. How do you feel like uh, you'll take to recruiting? Uh, it's, 
That is, I guess, I, I would really like to experience a college, a college or two season, and a and a professional season before I really hunker down on what that career path is going to be. But I'm definitely excited to get back to Chicago. You know, a lot of my boxing was out of Detroit. That's why uh, Notre Dame, Western Michigan, these places are great to be right in between these two cities that have really a, a depth of very, very uh, talented and skilled athletes uh, coming out of the cities and the suburban areas. Uh, so I, and I know, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see the co the, the people, the names that I played against the teammates that I have that are coaching in the Illinois area that are in and around the game. I'm, I'm, I really am excited to see where this venture, this, 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 this career, this takes me to, to, to the faces, the faces, the names and all the people, you know, the new faces that I'm going to meet and then all the old ones. Tom, this is a bit of a left turn from what we've been talking about, but Notre Dame has a tight end, Michael Mayer, who's who will be leaving the program for the NFL, who yeah. leaves as potentially the best tight end in Notre Dame program history. And you certainly have faced your share of good tight ends throughout yeah. your football career. How do you defend someone like Michael Mayer? You need more and more skilled safeties. That's the crazy thing about where the NFL is. You got two; They're coming out with two tight end sets, but it might as well be five wides or four wides with a running back. So, I mean, and he's going to fit really, uh, you know, Cole Komet's really turned himself into, and I think that's what he always was. He was a, a, a student of the game, a good, a, a very good blocking tight end, a very good pass catching tight end. You see him as a very solid prototypical tight end, but this, this young bug seems like, you know, the new, the, the, that generation of receivers that are, receivers that'll learn how to block and and I'm sure you know I haven't watched the tape I don't know if he does or doesn't block but when you got skills and crafts like that you know just get in the way Tommy um you you have two kids now correct what are their mm -hmm. ages and how you you touched on this a little bit but how has being a father changed who you are around you know the rest of your life Tommy Jr. Tommy Jr.'s two, and Aaliyah was born August fifth. She's four or five, whatever, five months now. I'm losing track on that. Um, I think uh, being a father, seeing my father, seeing my mother, um, and then yeah, becoming a father. I think that's what's really going to solidify me as a great coach when it's all said and done. Um, you can know all the X's and O's and, you know, you can know the game in and out, but if you can't empathize, em empathize with human beings, if you can't communicate with young men that are searching and struggling and finding their way through this life to become men and productive men in this world, um, it's no easy task and I'm not taking it lightly. And I think it took me becoming a father to, uh, steer me in the path that was designed by me from, you know, our career, the, the creator, the God of whoever it is that says, do this or do that. Tom, who, who, are, who is, or who are the coaches that really stuck with you that helped you through things that got this sport to resonate with you, the sport of football 
and got you to understand what it meant sort of beyond just the playing field? Well, for me, so Mark Carrier, safety coach, was was me. I couldn't ask for a better coach my for two, my rookie year and my second year. He made me into watching Jim Leonard, watching Ed Reed, watching Jawan Landry, and having Mark Carrier as a coach made me the player I became. Uh, but Bill Lewis, so much from Bill Lewis. Want to be is just like Bill Lewis. Lewis as a head coach, Coach Chuck Pagano at Wyoming, who became my position coach at in the you know what I mean this. There's signs and things that are thrown your way that you just can't ignore, and the way those two coach is, I hope exactly how I am coaching right now, which is regardless of what your talent is. If you love this game the way I love this game, I coach you till you can't take my coach. You know, I mean, till you don't want that coaching anymore, whatever it is. But um, we're in it together, and that's the great thing about the team sport and why football is the ultimate team sport and the best sport there is. Tommy, do you still have contact with Charlie Weiss, and what do you remember most about your time with him? I I talked to him a little bit as I was getting back into this coaching thing. And that was when he was hired, it was a chance for me really when I started taking notes on seeing the differences in Tyron Willingham style, what you do the day after the game, how you break down the film, who's your leadership council, do you have a leadership council, captains, is it weekly, what is it? It was the first time I really got a chance to compare and take notes of this head coach to that head coach. Um, Cause always, I've always jotted it down. In terms of, you know, kind of like how you schedule a training camp for a fight for a mixed martial arts fighter for, for a boxing match, which kind of is what box, what, what football is at the training camp level until you go into week after week after week, which is boring stuff. We're not going to go into details of that, but I've always tried to keep up with, as an athlete or as a team, what it takes to build strength through the season for this, you know, and, and kind of how it all blends together through six months of the year or whatever it is. Well, all right, Tom, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. It's always good catching up with you and we will be uh, excited to see what comes next for you in your coaching career. I hope I didn't bore you guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. No, this is a blast. Not at all. We didn't get to see you change a diaper, though. I know. I'm getting boring in this old age. It's changing diapers, wiping butts, creams. (laughs) (laughs) Same old stuff. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. I really am excited to be back around football and doing all this stuff again. As a reminder, the Inside ND Sports podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. And if you love free stuff, Dead Soxy has a huge holiday giveaway announcement. Right now, you can enter to win over $700 worth of Dead Soxy's premium socks plus a $300 Dead Soxy gift card, all in their super sleek luxury briefcase. Dead Soxy's looking for 10 lucky winners 
So just go to deadsoxy.com slash sweep. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y dot com slash sweep to enter the giveaway between now and Friday, December 16th. To sweeten the deal even more, winners will have their grand prize in hand before Christmas. So you can keep all those socks to yourself, give some away, or give some of the ultimate sock drawer upgrade. Again, that's deadsoxy.com slash sweep and stay sexy. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from SJB75 on the Insider Lounge. Michael Mayer and Isaiah Foskey both chose to not play in the bowl game. Do the two of you believe it's the player's responsibility to play in all games, including bowl games, if healthy, as part of the scholarship agreement, or do you support the player's right to choose to play or not play? Well, I think they should play in the regular season games, and I think uh, I think playoff games are different. And um, as far as you know, the Gator Bowl or some of these other bowls, the Independence Bowl. I I think that um, I'm okay with them skipping it. It was hard for me to get to that point um, when Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. I w- wasn't sure how I felt about it, but we we also had the example. Those of us that cover Notre Dame of seeing seeing Jalen Smith and what happened to him in, in actually a meaningful bowl game, a Fiesta bowl game that uh, was between two top 10 teams, but not a playoff or, or a playoff semifinal. So I, I think guys that opt out for, you know, other reasons, you know, like the portal this year, you, the portal window, the timing of it opening on December 5th, there are a lot of guys opting out of bowl games to be in the portal. Yet there are also players that are and pretty prominent ones that are going to play in quote unquote meaningless bowl games that are in the portal right now. So um, I've kind of come around to the to supporting high draft picks, protecting uh, their business interests, and and skipping the bowl game. Yeah, I. I think they the players have the right to choose to not play at the end of their career. If they want to say I'm done here, then that's that's their right. Whether it's, I mean, like I, I don't want it to see like extend into like November of of the regular right. season or anything like that. But if that's what they want to do, I mean, guys that are going to the transfer portal can do that. Like why why shouldn't a player that wants to go to the NFL have the same sort of right to do that? So that doesn't necessarily mean that that I would always support that um, or agree with that. I think I would support, I mean, I support their right to do that. I don't necessarily always agree with the decision would probably be the way I would um, phrase that. Um, So I think, 
they they have the right to look out for themselves after the they've poured so much of themselves into the team so i don't think it's like abandoning their team um because their teammates know how much those guys have done um to put themselves in a position to leave for the nfl if they hadn't they wouldn't be they wouldn't be in that position like they would like michael mayer wouldn't be in the position to get drafted next year if he hadn't been one of the hardest working players on Notre Dame's roster, devoted himself to playing as much as he possibly can. Um, and I mean, he caught a pass in every game he played in at Notre Dame. Uh, so he was not like he was out there just getting by. He was, he was putting in work um, and doing everything he could through his career. So I, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I understand if, if that changes people's opinions of, of, I, I, I mean, I guess I, I I would say I understand. It. I don't I don't know that I, that it's necessarily fair that it that like colors their whole career. Like I I mean, anytime that Kyron Williams gets messaged mentioned on our message board anymore, it gets it comes back to him being a quitter and leaving the team last season, which I think is I think that's sort of outrageous. Um, but I think the players know that that fans may react negatively to their decisions too, and they have to sort of live with that decision and that being part of it as well. I will say this. I mean, there are times and I, and I mentioned this on our Monday night live show last night. I admire Jarrett Patterson for everything he's done this year because he could have basically sat out the whole season. Mm -hmm. And Mike Renner from pro football focus said that probably would have helped him in the NFL draft, getting healthy and not playing with a bad foot all season rather than playing it less than 100%, not looking as good on film, and he's playing in the bowl game. So I, I also admire the kids that do make the decision to go ahead and play. And, of course, Zibby, you know, would play for, you know, he mentioned that he would play extra in the parking lot. <laughs> He'd play tomorrow if you asked him to. <laughs> yeah, for free. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question <laughs> is from uh, Clan AD or Clan Ad um, on the Insider Lounge. Do you think that the character, ethics, respect, and honesty that a lot of these kids are lacking today starts at home? If you give your word and commit, then it should have to be a done deal. Uh, it has been that way for me my whole life. At any age, these athletes have plenty of time to check out the school, coaches, campuses, et cetera, before committing. Do you really think age is an excuse for going back on your word? Boy, is that not a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> As I think as, I think we know where he stands. <laughs> yeah, we know where you stand. You know, I don't I don't know most of these kids' home life. I I wouldn't know whether it starts there. There are kids that are exemplary citizens that have not really good parents, and there are kids that are errant that have really good parents. So I I'm not sure that I would say that it starts at home. But I don't want to get into that part of it. Let's just talk about the part that you're mad about which is the commitment thing yeah i mean i i think there's some something disturbing about um giving your word if you have no intention of sticking with it but i also think there's circumstances that change from time to time there's assistant coaches that leave uh there are um you know maybe circumstances at home where a parent or a grandparent has an illness or uh, you have a new girlfriend and you want to stay closer to home or you, you know, suddenly that distance from Washington state or wherever California seems, you know, 
astronomical when it seemed kind of fun in the spring you see all that snow in south bend and you know you have a change of heart maybe there's a new coach like lincoln riley was um last year at a school near you and that was attractive uh that made usc a lot more attractive than when clay helton was the coach so i think circumstances change but you know i think as long as you're sincere about your initial commitment you should have the right to change your mind. If you're playing games with a school, I, I don't like what Peyton Bowen did where he just ba basically made Notre Dame a placeholder and just kind of flaunted his visits. And I, I don't know that, that that was something that I, I admired. <laughs> um, but, you know, we'll see if he ends up in Notre Dame's class. And I also think, you know, it varies from year to year. A lot of the kids in the 2022 class, there were a lot of decommitments and swaps and so forth in that class because those kids hadn't been on the campuses during the pandemic. They didn't get to visit a lot of those schools. And then they wanted to see schools once the, the floodgates came open and they could go see schools. And some of them had different opinions. Kari G, who committed to Notre Dame, had never been on Notre Dame's campus before he showed up in June and enrolled. And, you know, then he was gone after his freshman season. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I do believe that kids should be sincere about their commitments, but I do understand that circumstances can change and you may need to change your mind. Yeah. Um, I, there are, the thing I wanted to take issue with probably with most in terms of the way the question was asked. And that was the part that says these athletes have plenty of time to check out the school coaches, campuses, et cetera, before committing. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and, and not in all cases, I, I would say like commitments are rushed. There is pressure applied from the school side, from coaches in trying to get commitments from kids um, and I'm not saying that's like specific to Notre Dame. This is like a college football wide thing. Like when you get, when, it, when you visit coaches want to know that you're coming and they're going to push and they're going to try to get you to commit to them. Um, and then, you know, whose word also doesn't always stick the coaching staffs. They don't always have, they don't have to keep you. They, you can give them your, your verbal commitment and they can tell you in three months, you know what? We, we shouldn't have taken your commitment or we like this kid better. They can recruit over you. It happens all the time. It doesn't happen like multiple times at the same school, every recruiting cycle, but it happens there. I could Cedric Irvin in Notre Dame's class. Now I understand there was a running backs coach change there, but he was in Notre Dame's class and Notre Dame's like, yeah, we're going to just kind of recruit past you. And then he'll take the hint and get out of this class. Um, Tight end Jack Nickel was a kid that was formerly committed to Notre Dame. I'm just mentioning names that I know Notre Dame fans would be familiar with. Greg Crippen, an offensive lineman, was committed to Notre Dame. Notre Dame sort of said, okay, I don't know that this is what we we want to see here. So this is it, it's not a one-sided thing where kids are the only ones that are committing these backing out of their word situations. So I, I think I think that perspective is is needed. We have to remember that. And, and it, it, it might not I've I've highlighted a few examples for for Notre Dame. It could be happening at a higher rate other places i'm not as i don't follow other schools recruiting as closely so i couldn't tell you that but i do know that this is notre dame isn't like uh unique in the fact that they've had guys that they sort of had second thoughts on and and they're not gonna 
force a kid to come here, but they're going to make it do different things to let them know, like, uh, maybe, they, maybe they stop picking up the calls when the kid's trying to call them. There, there's all kinds of way to sort of subtly hint that maybe you're not as big of a priority as we thought you were as, as when we got your commitment originally. So I think it's important to have that perspective on it when talking about these kids changing their minds. Um, and I, I mean, like I'm not a parent and I can't pretend to be, but I would imagine that if I genuinely, like if my son genuinely felt like he needed to change his mind to go somewhere else and that was in his best interest, like how are you going to tell your kid to no? you said, you told them you were going to do this six months ago. I don't care if this is a better opportunity for you. You're stuck with this. I, I just, I just don't think everything works as black and white and that now maybe clan ad has lived his life that way and, and uh, more power to him for doing that. But I, I just, it's more complicated than that. And I think um, it's sort of part of the process. This is, this is the, the game that college football coaches and recruits are playing with each other. And it's not just the recruits that are the ones causing problems in this. You have a funny look on your face, Eric. Do you disagree with what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, no. I, it was just indigestion. <laughs> okay. All right. Next question is from Andrew Barlow at Barl Andrew. Is the apparent disintegration of top recruit commitments an anomaly or a signifier of something deeper trend-wise across the country? Okay. I'm going to let you go first because I'm not sure I understand the question. Andrew is a lot smarter than me. I've Andrew and I know each other. Um, I, I mean, I, I think he just meant sort of the fact that Notre Dame is losing some of its top commitments. And I think he, I think he's wondering if this is specific to Notre Dame oh. or if this is something that happens across the country. Okay. That's how I interpreted it. Okay. Um, so I can, I can answer that then. Go ahead. Um, we had Adam Gorney, who is rivals director of recruiting on our, uh, podcast a few weeks ago. And I think that dynamic is changing. Uh, I don't think it's a universal thing either for Notre Dame or universal among top recruits, but I also think um, the dynamic with NIL money has changed things. Um, but here's here's something to think about, Andrew. Texas A&M is the school most accused of using NIL guarantees uh, to get recruits. Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class in the country last year. Right now, Texas A&M leads the nation in its players from this roster in the portal with 20. That was going into today. 12 of them are from that freshman class. So it does kind of speak, speak to what you're suggesting that these top recruits, um, maybe this is part of a trend here. But it cuts both ways. That 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 twelve of their half their class is already gone after their freshman year. Uh, but I think Notre Dame still can get top quality recruits, and and you know they were going to miss on recruits before there was nil money for other reasons, including illegal money, um, and we've heard instances of that. So I don't think that that takes Notre Dame. You look at the top number of top 100 recruits since Marcus Freeman has been on staff, either as the defensive coordinator or as the head coach, and that number's gone up. So um, 
I think the way that Marcus approaches it is kind of a little bit of an antibody to this this issue, and yet it's not going to be a hundred percent. They're not going to get. There are going. There are going to lose kids to NIL money. Yeah, I, I mean, this is Notre Dame hasn't enough in recent history been involved in these recruitments that go to the end, um, and there's ups and downs. And now Notre Dame's been in a spot where they've had the commitments from those guys, and then people are trying to take them away. Now, I, I think, I think, like, say, I mean, we're talking almost like a year ago or a year, a decade ago, um, when. So Notre Dame's 2013 class, that was that that was their really big class, a really good class with Max Redfield and Jalen Smith and Eddie Vanderdose. A number of those sort of went to the end there and they ended up going Notre Dame's way, but they didn't necessarily. I mean, well, Eddie Vanderdose went Notre Dame's way and then it didn't go its way. And so like the drama, like this isn't a new thing in recruiting, but I do think 10 years later, we're at a point where these kids do tend to commit earlier. I mean, the visits happen earlier and earlier in, in the recruiting process for kids. And so there will be, there are more verbal commitments, but then that drama still comes, even though there are verbal commitments, which I, I think probably gets to the last question's point of like, okay, why are people, so many people giving their words when it doesn't necessarily mean anything and they're not sticking to it. I think that's just sort of the evolution of how recruiting has gone. If Notre Dame wanted to say, you know what, we're not going to take a commitment until you're hundred percent certain you're not visiting anyone else you're done. Like we're not going to do it until we're convinced that you're committed to us hundred percent. Like, I don't think that Notre Dame would have one of the top five classes in the country. And I don't know that they would be able to push into that part, like, and get a bunch of those guys at the end here. Um, so that this is, this is the, this is the deal you're making to recruit at this high of a level, to be able to compete with the top teams in the country on the recruiting trail. Um, because the interest doesn't stop. Like you, you can, even even if you say like don't call me like I think I'm sure there's probably plenty of people that reach out to Drake Bowen still, uh, and he just just he just leaves. I mean he probably just doesn't answer the text or ignores them, and then they finally get the get the point. But I mean I imagine coaches that come through Indiana during the recruiting time like they probably make stops at Andrean <laughs> like just to see. You never know. There's always a way that you can uh, for a recruit to sort of look into someone else, but. Um, and now I'm not mentioning that as if I think Drake's going to lead the class. I, I'm using him as an example that I don't think he would, and he's not interested in any of this stuff to the end. But um, that that's I think that's more uncommon than it is common. I think there's just a lot of these guys yeah. at the top that they're going to keep hearing from the best programs in the country that are going to be putting now NIL offers on the table. And the what my question would be is like, okay, is it really that different than what it's always been? Like, was Texas A&M just making these deals under the table previously and now it's just less less illegal because of the NIL thing? And so I, I think some of this late movement that we always see was probably related to some of these different offers that were being um, worked out behind the scenes of how how you get someone into your recruiting class. So um, I think – I, it's it's not gonna go anywhere. Like this is only going to continue this way. I just think it seems more prevalent to Notre Dame fans because Notre Dame is recruiting at that level um, with with the type of players that you get in those situations with. Right. If there were no no NIL, N Notre Dame has stepped up in terms of the prospects that it's going at. It's going after a lot more five star guys mm -hmm. and high four star guys. 
And if you even look at when Notre Dame dabbled in that, let's say the 2011 class, Aaron Lynch was a crazy recruitment. He verbally commits to Notre Dame. He then commits to Florida State. Florida State and Notre Dame, it was a battle royale between the coaches. I mean, they did not like each other. He ends up back in Notre Dame's class. Stefan Tuitt commits to Notre Dame, ends up visiting Georgia Tech, commits to Georgia Tech, and he's sitting there with Bob Diaco and Brian Kelly in his living room, and Paul Johnson, the head coach at Georgia Tech, calls him up and starts bad-mouthing Brian Kelly and his staff as being too small-timey, and they're on speakerphone, and finally Kelly says, hey, uh, Paul, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And then, then the third member of that class that was very highly rated, Ishak Williams, he was getting ready to go to Penn State where they were going to seal the deal. Bob Diaco, one of the few recruiting coups he pulled off, shows up at like six in the morning on the stoop at, at um, Ishak's house in Brooklyn. Ishak never makes the trip to Penn State that day and commits to Notre Dame. So, I mean, these are the crazy battles that you have to go through. I mean, two of those guys were committed to other schools for a while and came back. So, that's just, you got to put on your big boy pants when you go after the top players. All right. Next question is from Charles W. Wolf. Any predictions on signing day drama, if any? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's going to be signing day drama. We don't know all what it is. I mean, the most likely is something, you know, it almost would be drama if nothing happened with Peyton Bowen on signing day. Uh, but, you know, Peyton Bowen and Jaden Lamar are probably the two recruits most likely to maybe make um, a change in their commitment at the 11th hour, but not necessarily. And there may be somebody else that surprises. And then Notre Dame may end up with a defensive end here at the very end of the cycle who hasn't even visited campus yet. So, of course, there's going to be drama on signing day, especially this year with the NIL stuff. Yeah, I yeah, we I don't know what it'll be. I mean, Jaden Lamar and Peyton Bowen are the two most likely guys that we're watching as guys that could not end up signing with Notre Dame. Um you'd like the the thing about it, I mean, from my perspective, like if if you're committed somewhere, you should at least do them the courtesy of not changing your mind on signing day. Like even if it was the day before. I know you're still putting them in a bad spot, but I just I like Marcus Freeman shouldn't have to wait <laughs> till whatever window and like not know for sure like when he goes to talk to us reporters of of whether or not Jaden Lamar's letter is actually going to come in or or uh, Peyton Bowen's letter is going to come in. So I, that would be the one thing that I would at least advise if I were giving advice to these recruits and their families. Like d- at least don't do that to the coach on signing day. But it happens. That, that's that's the way things end up playing out, especially. And part of it is like these kids have a hard time telling them not like Jaden Lamar, Peyton Bowen. And I'm not saying that this is the case for them, but those guys have very close relationships with members of Notre Dame's coaching staff. So if there comes a time where they decide, you know what, I want to go to Oregon, it's going to be very hard for them to call up Notre Dame and tell them, Hey, listen, I've made this decision. This is what I want to do. Um, thanks for everything, but see you later. Like that's not an easy call. Now, some some kids might not even make that call. Like they, and that that's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst look, in my opinion. At least be man enough to 
to own up to the decision you're making and let them know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, but, uh, and, and again, like I'm speaking in, like I'm using these guys as examples, but I'm not saying, I'm not accusing these guys of this is what will happen with them. I'm just using them, just talking about sort of how this plays out um, and using them as examples. So I don't, I don't want it to, to come out like Peyton, Tyler says Peyton Bowen uh, doesn't, isn't man enough to call another, like, that's not what I'm saying. So let's, uh, let's, let's make sure I'm being clear here. I got a good one from way back in the day, early days of covering college football is I believe the late eighties, it might've been around 1990, but um, Indiana uh, and Michigan were both going after this defensive lineman. I believe he was from Detroit named Franciscus Mills. Mm-hmm. And back in that time, the coaches an assistant coach would actually, it wasn't unusual when they were allowed to do this, go to the kid's school and watch them sign the letter of intent and grab it from them. They could also fax them in, but uh but it wasn't unusual for coaches to do that. That was allowable. Well, Franciscus didn't want to call either Indiana or Michigan to tell them no. So both schools had a coach show up, not knowing that the other, you know, this is before the internet. So they didn't know the other one was going to be there. Yeah. And so in, in the, um, in, in the heat of the moment, he changed his name to Lamar, Lamar Mills, and he signed with Indiana. So Lamar <laughs> Mills ended up going to, Indiana Franciscus was still committed to Michigan, but didn't sign. Oh man, that's that's something. All right, next question is from Marie, Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Do you think Grayson McCall, uh, that is a Coastal Carolina quarterback, who for those who are unaware, could be a fit at Notre Dame? Why or why not? Does he fit Tommy Reese's offense? Tyler and I talked about this a little bit on the Monday Night Show, and I think our opinions differ. Um, Grayson McCall is my football crush. Um, I think he would crush it at Notre Dame. If if that pairing happened, I would and I would just I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You would throw a parade for Tommy Reese. I would throw a parade for Tommy Reese. I'd say, <laughs> okay, Tommy Reese is getting it now. Um, but um would he fit into Notre Dame's offense? And and Tyler has a good point. Coastal Carolina's offense is really unique, but I think Tommy is also smart enough to, with a player of that caliber, to shape his offense around his talents. So they wouldn't run the Coastal Carolina o- offense necessarily, but but they would run something that looks different than what Notre Dame's running this year with Drew Pine. Um, and take advantage of uh, McCall's talents. I, I mean, he set, you know, in 2021, he set the NCAA record for pass efficiency. He's been consistent with that every year, fifth, first, and he's third right now in his in his years as a starter. He's a true dual threat quarterback. He can run well. He makes great decisions, very low interception uh, ratio. Um He's my portal prize if if Notre Dame got him. He's far and away my number one. I do like Michael Pratt a lot of Tulane, and I like uh, Virginia's Brennan Armstrong. Those are kind of my three guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to my my view is that I, I don't, I'm not sure, and I did spend some time today watching some more Grayson McCall highlights than I had before yesterday when we got uh, when we started talking about it on our Monday Night Live show. Um. I think I do think uh, 
some of his stats are can be attributed to the offense that is being run. So, I, so that may, so that makes me wonder of like, okay, how talented is he? Um, but I mean, like, I mean, to be frank, like I've been pretty upfront with like, I haven't fallen in love with any of the guys that I've, I've heard that, that seem as possibilities for Notre Dame. Like they all, most of them have their own question marks. Now, it, like Grayson McCall's is like, well, can he translate to this level? If that's the only question I have for him, I think that's, that's, I mean, it is a, a big question, but he's, he's gone out and done it. He's experienced. It's not like he's, uh, he did have a, he missed a couple games this year, but he does. I don't, to my knowledge, doesn't have a long injury history. Right. Um, he, it's their offense is very RPO based, um, play action heavy. I would imagine if he became Notre Dame's quarterback, we you would see more of that because it would that would play to his strengths. And Notre Dame does some of that. Hasn't done a ton of it. It's not necessarily like the base of Notre Dame's offense the way Coastal Carolina is. Like it's every. I mean. <laughs> If you watch like a video highlight reel of, of Grayson McCall, like eighty five percent of them, he's doing some sort of play fake on it. Like that's that's how that's that's how that offense is run. Um, so, I think Tommy Reese is he know he knows enough. Like he his his knowledge base is very wide as when it comes to football. So I think he could make he could he would tailor his offense around the quarterback he gets. Um, I don't know. I think sometimes I've wondered if he he all like I think he maybe expects more from the quarterbacks than he than he actually gets out of them. So so like so it ends up maybe maybe the offense he it hoped would be would be tailored around the quarterback doesn't end up working out that way because the quarterback doesn't execute it the way that he thought it would be executed. Um, so uh, would he would he fit? I mean. I think Notre Dame could make that could could make it work. Um, I mean, I'd be interested in seeing it. I I, I think that he, he would fit the criteria of sort of the kind of quarterback you would want to come into Notre Dame um, and and be a ball player and make plays. And uh, I, the, the, what I what I do like about it, if if whoever Notre Dame Notre Dame is going to bring someone in, and then Tyler Buckner, they're going to compete for this. I think. I then I've I don't know that I necessarily felt this way totally, but I've I've come around to this. Like I think they it has to be a dual threat guy. You have to be teaching the same offense to the, both of those players, and if one goes down, the other one comes in, and you're not changing that much of the offense. Um, I just think feel like that's the best way to handle things moving forward for Notre Dame, um, and I don't think that was necessarily the case this past season with Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. All right, next question is from Derek Gerber at GerbsIrish02. Hey, guys, how confident out of 10 are you that Notre Dame will slash can get the quarterback they really want out of the transfer portal? It seemed like immediately after the season ended, Notre Dame or the fan base were feeling great landing a top transfer quarterback, but it seems like the momentum has slowed down. Well, I'll address the momentum slowing down. It hasn't slowed down at all. I mean, if Notre Dame had let's say gone after McNamara instead of him ending up at Iowa, they'd say, wait a second, look at all these good guys that are still coming out. Um, So there's only three schools as of yesterday, FBS schools that had landed a quarterback and that was Iowa, Pittsburgh and uh, Virginia. And none of those guys are guys that Notre Dame would have wanted. Although some people were interested in McNamara and Jerkovic, 
but I don't think for the right reasons. I think just some people, some people being fans, not fans, right? Not Notre fans, Dame. not Notre Dame coaches. But you look at um, the the prospect that Michael Pratt and Sam Hartman may enter the portal after their bowl games, and that they would be near or at the top of that crop. I think Grayson McCall will be hard to knock out of the number one spot in terms of the most coveted, but those other two guys would be right there with them. Um, and so Notre Dame has to play its cards right. You know, if um, if they fu- see somebody they absolutely love right now, go ahead. But I, I don't think there's been an expectation that there needs to be a commitment. You know, I think they'd like to get some visits. Um, but if this goes into early January, I think the timing is perfect. It's, you know, they just need to be in class by uh, January 17th or a few days later and have to catch up. But January 17th is when classes start. And uh, out of 10, how confident? Seven and a half, eight, um, because Notre Dame has a tougher sell than some schools. They don't have a dynamic offense they're selling them on young receivers they're selling them on the tight ends that aren't Michael Mayer uh they can tell them hey look we've got an offensive line that's going to protect you we've got two stud tackles that are going to be first round draft picks a center coming back and a whole bunch of good young guards we have a running game that's going to support you so it's not on all your shoulders but they don't have the bells and whistles a lot of these other offenses have so there's going to be some selling to do yeah for first you you mentioned like Grayson McCall being at the top spot do you do you know where he's ranked in the rivals quarterback rankings if it's not number one they need to be spanked <laughs> it's not I looked it up while you're talking I didn't know that when you said that I was curious he's ranked third behind Devin Leary and DJ Uyunglele. well and and you know I don't think that's that's awful considering DJ was for most of his recruiting cycle, the number one player overall in the country. And Devin Leary is a pro prospect. Um, so I think number three is still, that's still pretty. Right. Pretty no, but as far it's as still good for Notre Dame. Right. I think he's a better fit than those other two. Um, To Derek's question. I, I think, I think fans expected answers too quickly and updates on it. Like it was like sort of how we would cover the, a normal, like college or a high school recruit um, and like Notre Dame's pursuit of a quarterback in the, in the 2023 class, which certainly had its own twists and turns and uh, an effort to keep things under wraps until, uh, until things started to unfold. Um, But it's, it's just different. Notre Dame's guarded information much very closely um, with this quarterback portal. And, And honestly, most of its portal, recruit recruiting dealings it's it that is not information that is being uh leaked out at sort of the same way that some of the classic recruiting information gets leaked out and i think it's in part because when as as reporters we develop relationships with these guys that notre dame's recruiting as high schoolers but then i mean i don't have i don't have relationship with with uh any of these court like i don't have a relationship with devin leary or people in devin leary's camp or or people in grayson mccall's camp so it's much different for us to uh, us to cover um so if if just because like you don't know we aren't telling you things that you want to hear or, or can document everything that's going on that doesn't mean that things aren't happening 
Um, I think that Notre Dame is working very hard at this, and and Tommy Reese's travels during the contact period have been guided by trying to sort through portal options. Um, will 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 who Notre Dame gets end up being who Notre Dame really wanted? Um, it'll probably be the, the problem is like it's going to be portrayed that way. We we don't like we won't have the same sort of pecking order that we had in the 2023 quarterback classes. Like, well, clearly they prioritized Dante more, and then they offered these guys, and that's how it went. Like, it's 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 being the process is being handled differently. So we I I want it'll be hard to know for sure if like th- there was someone else that they really wanted ahead of who uh, who else they ended up getting. Um. So I, I would probably go with a seven in terms of how confident I am that Notre Dame can and will get the quarterback they really want out of the transfer portal. I think they're going to get someone, um, whether it's the very top choice, if they were given true serum in terms of these are all the guys that you want, um, who would, or you could get, who would, who would you want most? Um, I, I would rate that as a seven of the probability of being able to do that. All right, uh, next one is from at Henry Bead. How did Notre Dame get, not get a single McCullough son? Does it signal that Deland is not long for Notre Dame? Well, um, they do have one more Deland McCullough son at home. I think he's six, uh, so <laughs> I'll have to wait a while for him. Um, you know, I, I think it shows that all those young men have their own minds and their own hearts, and the parents respect their decision to make their decisions. It, it, initially they all the three older boys all did come together in indiana and then dad left indiana um and so um they at one point did that and i think they a little bit got burned by that i don't know that any of them really wanted to be at indiana other than the fact that dad was there and that's where some of them went to high school you know in bloomington indiana so I think dad probably said, you know, go where you want to go this time. I, I also think, you know, getting, is it Desan? Is that how you say his name? I just thought it was Desan, but I, I don't know that Desan. for certain, to be honest. So, I mean, getting him into Notre Dame as a transfer student was probably a little bit harder than it would have been as a high school um, senior. Um, then the defensive back, Where's he going? Is he going to Oklahoma? Yeah, they're they're both going to Oklahoma. Okay, they're both going to Oklahoma, so they'll be together there. I think he originally had committed to Cincinnati. Correct. And then the oldest one transferred in from Miami, Ohio. He wasn't going to play at Indiana, and n- now I think he's taken a medical hardship uh, because his body's just kind of broken down. So, you know, I, I think there's – Fans have the expectations. Wow, this will be easy. And, and as far as if Dillon is going to stay, that guy's going to be in demand. Look how he coached the running backs this year. Um, he wants to be an offensive coordinator someday. He got an eleventh hour offer from the New York Giants after um, Marcus Freeman had offered for him to come to Notre Dame. He turned that down. So he's going to get some good offers. And if one of them's for an offensive coordinator position, he's going to eventually take it when when that comes around. In the meantime, he can learn a lot being at Notre Dame, but I don't think, you know, he's committed to Notre Dame for a long term. He's he wants to 
um, help Notre Dame while he helps himself in the coaching profession. Yeah, I, I should start by saying that I have not talked to the McCullough brothers, so I do not know their train of thought for certain. Um, but it needs to be pointed out that Dea, the high school recruit um, who has now since committed to Oklahoma, Notre Dame didn't offer him. Um, so if they wanted to play together, they weren't going to be able to do it at Notre Dame. Um, so I think that that adds a wrinkle to it. Now people can say, well, shouldn't we just take Dea if it gets us to sign? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think Notre Dame's coaching staff reserves the right to decide how it should handle. I, I think you should not generally just offer a kid because he's the son of a, of a coach. Like, I, I don't think that is a good uh, recruiting strategy. Um, Notre Dame, Dea is a safety. Notre Dame has three safeties committed. Now, obviously, it could lose Peyton Bowen. Um, and that that would be um pretty rough to lose both Peyton Bowen and both the McCullough brothers to Oklahoma. So I, I kind of like that from Oklahoma's side of things. Like it's just a it seems a bit conniving. Um, and uh, I sort of uh I respect that that move from Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think I agree with. I mean, from the moment. I mean, Dylan McCullough is coaching at, at Notre Dame because he wanted to be able to improve his resume and get the respect to be able to become a coordinator and continue to grow as an, as a coach. Um, and so he's, he's going to leave at some point who knows how short or how long it will be. And it makes sense that his kids decide to go where they want to go independently of where he's coaching because they shouldn't, those things shouldn't necessarily be tied together because they each have their own sort of wants and goals um in in this process of where they're at in life all right next question is from at patrick shields zero any news on potential coaching changes slash coaches leaving for open positions thoughts on stanford's new coach um there's not any news at this point but you know as we get as more coaches move around in the college cycle and as we start to get into the NFL cycle, there certainly could be. We saw that last year. You know, we saw Tommy Reese um, involved late, late in the cycle last year. And also with Dylan McCullough getting another offer while before his Notre Dame job became official. So I, I wouldn't write it off. I'm, I don't think there's an expectation that, that, coaches are going to leave but when you have good coaches people are going to want to hire them and so i i would not rule it out at this point as far as stanford and coach taylor i haven't given a lot of thought other than the fact they have a lot of kids in the portal and at stanford that's going to be harder to make up for uh because they can't use the portal themselves as liberally as a lot of other schools as notre dame has found out stanford's kind of in the same boat in terms of transferring credits um, to Stanford, it's it's difficult. So I think he's got a big job ahead of him. You know, I've heard good things about him. He did great things at Sacramento State, uh, but I really haven't given him much thought past that. Yeah, I'll start there. Like I I I don't know a ton about him. I mean, I, I'm somewhat aware of his resume, um, but I mean, <laughs> I'm a I'm I'm someone that always says like do we ever have any idea if coaches are going to work out? Like we, ha we are so clueless when it comes to that stuff. Like we, I think we can sort of sell ourselves on anyone or paint anyone as sort of a, a questionable hire. 
I think it's I think it's rather easy to do either of those things in most cases. Um, I, I I in general, I do not hold it against coaches for coaching at a lower level. I like I like coaches at lower levels getting chances at higher levels. Um, you, I would think his familiarity with uh, someone that uh, was at Cal, like he was a he was a player at Cal. I mean, that's an interesting wrinkle to the rivalry there. Um, so I, I, I sort of, you would think that he would understand what he's getting into at, at Stanford is aware of what it would take to win at Stanford. So I, I like sort of that aspect of it, um, being from that area, um, having coached in that area, um, obviously very familiar with California. Um, those are all sort of pluses in the, in the resume from my point of view, but I do think sort of like what Eric was getting to the the challenges at Stanford are are becoming harder rather than easier I think so it's it's going to be a tough job for him um so we'll see how that plays out um I don't have any news to share <laughs> here on the coaching changes that I wouldn't have reported elsewhere first um I mean I guess it we'll we'll find out um how much Sean McVay loves Tommy Reese <laughs> uh, again. I mean, uh, I, I believe this is right. The Rams, the Rams offensive coordinator this year, Liam Cohen is expected to go back to Kentucky. Um, so there would be a chance. I mean, so he'll have an opening there. Now, would he want, would he go after Tommy Reese? I, I don't know. Um, and even from Tommy Reese's perspective, it's like, well, things really went down the dump <laughs> for the Rams this, this season as someone who follows the NFL closely, um, and Sean McVay was even someone who like was reportedly considering retiring after the Super Bowl. So that would be an interesting situation to get into. So would Tommy Reese want to go for that? I don't know. We're all just speculating here. Um, it would seem to be odd timing that after this Notre Dame season and after this Ram season, um, that that sort of marriage would end up happening. But um, I, I think uh, – there's nothing new to report from like that. that this is, these are just circumstances outside of Notre Dame that we're aware of that are open, but it, I have no information that indicates that that's something that is going to happen, but we'll keep an eye on and see if, see if anything comes about for any of the coaches. All right. Uh, our last question is from Jack Quinn at JQ 6008. Were the Marshall and Stanford losses just a matter of bad luck? Brian Kelly definitely deserves credit for winning close games, but he had a ton of near misses. Pittsburgh, 2018, Vandy, 2018, Virginia Tech, 19 and 20, Toledo, Ball State, Louisville. Jack says, I give him credit for winning, but what part of this is luck? I'm not smart enough to put a um, a uh, percentage on it, Jack. But I, I think that you put yourself in position to get luck. Um, Brian Kelly strung together a 42 wins in a row against um, unranked teams at the end of his time at Notre Dame. That was, at the time, the longest streak, active streak in the country. And then Marcus's very first game against Marshall, an unranked team, uh, he lost it. So that that was the end of Notre Dame streak right there. But when you go back and look at Brian Kelly's first season, they lost to unranked Tulsa. Um, to open the 2011 season, they lost to South Florida. So I think some of it is 
maybe more natural in the early cycle of a coach at an at a school in his new role um the thing that Marcus was able to do that Brian Kelly wasn't um able to do as much in his first season was win big games um Marcus knocked off a top 10 team played another top 10 team on the road pretty close and was in the game against a third top 10 team had to play three of them in the same season uh so the Marshall game was just uh, you know that was more I think on the defense and and turning the ball over um if Notre Dame played Marshall again they mopped the floor with them although Marshall ended up being a really good defensive team um you know, giving up a 95-yard scoring drive late to Marshall, I think was the the Cardinal sin in that game. And then when they actually played the Cardinal, boy, there was nothing right about the game plan offensively against Stanford. I, I just thought Tommy Reese had a really bad day at the office, and so did Marcus Freeman. Um, and so how much does luck play into it? I mean, in the Marshall game, if – um. I think there was a uh, pass that Buckner missed on a touchdown pass would have been to, I think, Lindsay. If he makes that, then maybe he doesn't get hurt in the fourth quarter and the whole trajectory of his season changes. In the Stanford game, I think there was uh, some turnovers on the ground that Notre Dame didn't get to. Had they been able to recover one of those or, or whatever, and if – if um, Audric Estime doesn't fumble as Notre Dame's driving down the field uh, late in that game, then maybe they don't lose that one. Maybe they get lucky. So I guess there is some luck. I just can't put a percentage on it. Yeah. Uh, specific to those games, I don't I don't know that there was any luck when it came to the Marshall game. I think Marshall beat Notre Dame and deserved to beat Notre Dame that day. Yeah, they did. The Stanford game – I think you could make an argument for there being luck that went Stanford's way. Stanford put the ball on the ground a few times and Notre Dame didn't come up with it. Um, that's that's not – I don't know what the st- statistical uh, factor is for like what – when you lose fumbles, how often do you recover recover them or lose them? Um, but Stanford seemed to be recovering their own fumbles at a higher, a higher rate than, than is normal. Um, and then obviously then, then Notre Dame fumbles as well. So – I think uh, you could chalk some of that up to being unlucky. Um, But in general, like as it relates to Brian Kelly, like I don't think he was winning all those games by luck. Luck, your luck runs out and they, they, it was, uh, it was going on for too long for it to be, to be like heavily reliant on luck. If you're, if you do something repeatedly, um, you've, you figured out a way to coach through those close, close games and, Sometimes there are is more luck involved than others, but um, I think good coaches have the ability to coach through maybe those plays that are maybe unlucky here or there that can turn a turn a game one way or the other. But the good coaches can coach through that and overcome those plays that maybe could be devastating to play to coaches that aren't as as good or, or teams that aren't as good. So I think uh, a lot of times it's reflective of of your team, your coach and sure luck plays a role, but I don't know that it plays um, a significant role um, in, in the, the big picture because you have to, 
you have to prepare to overcome those things and put yourself in positions that that luck doesn't play make a difference i mean that's that's the thing with the stanford and especially the stanford game if if notre dame plays to its standard and plays to its ability against stanford even if a couple things go Notre Dame's way, it still should have won that game. It shouldn't have been that close. And so you put yourself in a position to have luck maybe influence the outcome of a game. Um, so that's that's sort of how I would sort of categorize the way the, – the role that luck played in those Marshall and Stanford games and then the, yeah. it, the, the role it played in, in Brian Kelly's uh, tenure as well. All right. I'm just laughing because Stanford used to have a quarterback named Luck. Uh, that, that is correct. Uh, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with your oldest friend. We're trying to get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. I think we're around 60 or so. Um, so if we could get a push for some more reviews on there, we would appreciate that. Leave a comment. Um, and if I if there's a comment that I particularly like, maybe I will read it on a future podcast. Uh, check us out on YouTube if you're not subscribed. Subscribe to our Inside Indie Sports channel there. Um, we are continuing to get good feedback about our Monday Night Live shows, so we um, will probably continue to do at least one more of those going into the Gator Bowl, and then I will, I, the plan will probably be to do one after the Gator Bowl as well. So um, there's too much news still. Uh, so we'll be back next week for – Another podcast will probably preview a bit of the early signing period, talk some more recruiting. Um, but until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame football coverage needs. Mm-hmm.